we have begun this year asking the question, why? Um, why are we who we are? Why do we do what we do? What are our motivations for who we are? And uh, we've got, I think, one more to go after this week uh, as just a way to bring in this new year as we start new rhythms saying, um, this is who we are. This is who we want to be. This is who we feel like God is shaping us to be. And so uh, the motivation uh, that we're going to work on today or we're going to talk about, uh, the catchphrase is this, there's always room at the table. And so I love that it's, it follows our communion time. Um, it follows uh, how Chloe gets to read and, and, and just participate. And I love that, um, as Daryl said, is Jesus is the host of the table. And we say, all are welcome, none are required. Um, there's always room at the table. And that's where our heart is. Um, it's the practice of hospitality that we want to talk about today. And about uh, maybe not just the hospitality that, that we often think of, but like what does it mean in a deep sense as Jesus teaches us about hospitality. So I want to start with a story. Um, when I was uh, finishing up college, I, got, uh, I was blessed to get to go on uh, be a, a resident um, for, with some missionaries in Kenya. And I spent about somewhere between six and eight weeks in Kenya. And I traveled with one other student named Nathan, and uh, we went pretty much everywhere together. And we ended up our stay in Nairobi, which is the capital. Um, now, in Nairobi, there is a ministry called Made in the Streets, which is a ministry to street children. And uh, they don't know how many street children are in Nairobi, but they know that it's somewhere north of 60,000, which if you can, I mean, it's hard to even begin to wrap our minds around how many kids that means that are on the street in Nairobi. And that's the case in a a lot of major cities around the world. Um, And so Made in the Streets uh, takes some of the the kids that are uh, teenagers, younger teenagers, and invites them in uh, to be part of Made in the Streets. And they find home, they find shelter, and they find food and clothing. And they're not just there for like a day. Like you're part of it for, for like three or four years. And you're equipped and you're trained and you get schooling and it's awesome. And so kids that stay with it and don't go back to the street, they're equipped uh, to go and work or to go into school after they leave there. And it's just a beautiful thing. So we ended up there at Made in the Streets. And we met a guy named Jackson that had come off the streets, had gone through the whole experience, and then now was working for Made in the Streets. He was about our age. And he was going to be our tour guide of the, the slums of Nairobi, where all the street kids live. He said, I'm going to take you to six different bases. And the bases were where uh, different groupings of kids live. And the more he described it, he's like, these are, these are like gangs, you know, that you have in New York and L.A. They're, they're kind of like that, but you'll be safe as long as you're with me. Don't worry. I'm like, okay, man, we're putting our lives in your hands, Jackson. And so we walked, and I remember walking past one big group of older teenage guys uh, that just kind of just staring at us and Jackson walks over and talks to them and then he walks back with a smile and he's like, keep, let's keep going and we keep walking and we get to this place where um, there were these two big concrete walls running parallel to each other and there was like 20 or 30 feet in between them and uh, on either, on the outside of these walls where buildings and houses and uh, homes are and on the inside around where the walls are there's just piles of trash so people just throw their trash over these walls into this alley. And in the middle of that alley, there's like this little 
stream of sludge just kind of slowly making its way down. It's just a stinky, dirty, terrible place. And across this little river of sludge was a, was a path, like a little bridge that went over it with barbed wire on either side. And as we start to walk over this, I'm like, oh, look at this place. Jackson walks over to the barbed wire and he lifts it up on one side. And he's like, this is where we're going. I'm like, no way, man. I'm not going to go in there. I'm sure I just stood there and just stared at him. And it was probably Nathan that went first. And so uh, Jackson took us into this ditch with trash on either side and you're, you know I'm like walking gingerly trying not to get my feet any more dirty than they already are and just thinking where is he taking us and like the trash is above my head against the wall and, and in front of us there's this mound of trash that's, that's so big I can't see past it and so we kind of walk around it and we try not to get into the sludge and we go around the corner and there's a place where the trash has been kind of spread out against this uh, cinder block wall and um, there were three teenage boys sitting on these big uh, coffee, instant coffee cans and just hanging out there in the middle of this ditch full of trash. <coughs> when they saw us, they had kind of this glazed look on their eyes. And Jackson later said it was because they'd been sniffing glue, which is all the street kids in Nairobi can, that can get their hands on. They sniff glue just to kind of cope with that kind of life. And they were a little bit embarrassed because they knew Jackson. Jackson would go to all these bases and hang out with the kids and they'd do Bible studies and things. And they looked up to him. And, um, but they saw us come in and they're like, what are these guys doing with Jackson? So we walk up and, and they stand up and they shake their hands. And, um, the first thing one of these kids does is he looks at me and he, he looks at his coffee can and he says, please, sit, sit. So I sit down on the coffee can. And we have this kind of broken conversation with Jackson as the translator. And I'm listening. I'm just like, how, how are these guys here? How does this work? And I don't remember much about the conversation, but I remember that his first instinct, this teenager, was to get up and look at his coffee can. He doesn't have anything. He doesn't have any possessions. He doesn't have a home. He doesn't have anything. He has a, a coffee can to lift him up eight inches off the ground, off the filth of this little ditch. The first thing he does is say, come, sit down, take my seat. That's always stuck with me. I think um, as we start to talk about hospitality, that it's an experiencing hospitality from who Jesus calls the least of these, the people that are on the margins, that we start to really learn about hospitality. What is it really like to be hospitable? Um, When you look and you study hospitality, hospitality was like the bedrock of ancient culture. They didn't have um, the institutions that we have today. And so if things, the people are going to take care of people, if travelers were going to be taken care of, if sick people were going to take care of, be taken care of, it was only through hospitality. It was through the community taking care of each other. So hospitality was the bedrock of society. Um, these days, uh, it's different. Hospitality, because so much of the help has been, uh, is more organized and institutionalized, which is very good in some ways. Um, we've lost... Uh, that personal touch. And um, instead, hospitality is more, you know, I'm going to have my friends over. I'm going to cook a good meal. And, you know, folks that, that are good and skilled at that are hospitable people. And that's true. And one of the things I love about our community at Storyline is I've been in most of your homes and I've eaten your food and you've been to my home and eaten my food and we've had a great time. 
And I think there that is that is real and true hospitality. Like we want to be community together. We want to open our homes to each other. And we want to open our homes to other people as well. Um, but hospitality in in the biblical sense is a little bit different. It's a little bit uh, more nuanced than that. Um, it goes beyond the friends and family and having them over, and it connects to the the strangers, the people that are that are foreign, the people that are different, that don't fit into uh, the places um, that are part of society. And it's about giving to them and opening ourselves to them and opening up our homes to them, um, which is a little bit different than the hospitality that I like to do. Like I like, I'm very comfortable with a small group of people that are, I, I know pretty well that I'm friends with. And I love being hospitable to that sort of group. It's when I start to get uncomfortable when there's people that are a lot different than me, when it's, uh, you know, I, the, any number of things that, that can happen, uh, like lights going off in the room. <laughs> hey, we're here. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's an object lesson. I don't know what the lesson is yet, but it is. Um, <laughs> there were people back on that other side of the room, uh-huh. there would be motion, and the lights wouldn't go off. Oh, that's your fault. Thanks, Katie. <laughs> so I want to ask you guys uh, to pitch in and help me out. What What are the moments when when you hit kind of the walls of hospitality, when it starts to feel uncomfortable uh, to open your life and open your home uh, to other people. Yeah. Um, I feel the most uncomfortable when, uh, when I am offered hospitality um, in a setting that makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So maybe it doesn't smell as good as my house smells. Or maybe it's not as clean mm-hmm. as my house can be. <laughs> um, uh, I realized that I'm way more comfortable receiving hospitality um, from someone was way more similar to me than I hear. <coughs> thank you for sharing that. And, and thank you for giving an example of receiving hospitality to you, which for some of us is a step in and of itself. <laughs> um, what else? What are other times when hospitality hits walls? Yeah, John. It's kind of the, the other the other end of that spectrum. What you just said, because I remember our youth ministry when I was in a preaching ministry. Uh, we reaching out to smaller towns and like Paris, which is very low in income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, as the youth minister there said, I didn't know when I came to a rural area, so I'm doing inner city ministry. Uh, but some of these kids came to our house, and we were just, you know, they, they would just love on kids, and that's, that's my background. And I noticed this group of kids would stay in the house for a little bit, and then they'd just go outside. Um, but, and it's like, what's going on? You know? and, and it comes back as they were uncomfortable being in a nice house. It bothered them. And they felt like, you know, and, and, which bothered me because I'm just going, it's okay, you know, you break something, you break, I mean, it's, it's all right, it's, it's, I'm okay with that. But my discomfort came from the fact that they were uncomfortable. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Great example. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, living in a country where, I mean, kind of Western civilization t- like ties this idea of monetary value to like a person's worth. And so to be in a place that I'm not, you know, I don't get to live in that kind of value and things that are this nice. I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, that happens a lot. <coughs> mm-hmm. I thought of a time living in Abilene, uh, hanging around downtown in coffee shops. There's a lot of, a lot of panhandlers asking for money or asking for rides. And there was a guy I got to know there uh, after a while that one day I'm walking around the coffee shop, he asked for a ride. And so we I'm just taking down the gas station a few blocks down uh, when he gets some food. And, but as, as we're driving, you know, I, guess I see his hands. They're, all, they're dirty, but they're also they're cut and scabbed and a bunch of dry blood on them. I like, what happened? He's like, oh, I got hit yesterday. He fell and cut himself up. And Gray doesn't have really any access to being able to clean himself up or, or any stuff or anything like that. And, um, that was the end of the story as I was dropping him off and came to the place. I was like, all right, here you go. And then he turns to me and he says, thanks very much. And he extends his hand to shake my hand. And I walk. I don't want to shake his hand because it's dirty and it's bloody and it's dab. And, um, and I thought, wow, my whole feeling of like wanting to be clean, right, and then being used to that cleanness that I get to live in makes me not want to shake this human being's hand. Um, yeah, it made me not want to accept his extension of hospitality or, or meet it with, with any more that I was comfortable with. And that shamed me. I mean, I shook his hand. But I, I, even then, like, I couldn't get that thought out of my head. Like, well, now I can't touch anything until I... <laughs> right? Like, it, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't get that thought out of my head. And yeah, that, that was a really eye-opening moment of how, just how I can have this just idea of dirty and clean, and that gets in the way of me seeing somebody. Right. And making space for them. Right. And in, in a sense, also, our society defines what is, what's clean and what is nice. And then, so anything that falls out of those bounds, you know, it's, it, that's where that discomfort. Yes, Melinda. There's a great book that addresses that, um, called Unclean. Unclean. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it, he's a psychology professor. Yeah. And he talks a lot about this, um, the psychology of disgust yep. and uh, uh, how that affects our will to embrace mm-hmm. our will to embrace others. Yeah. And really interesting, really valuable book to read. It's kind of the only kid. It's just in my this book is called Stranger God and it's kind of a more friendly version, easier reading version. But he talks about it's all about hospitality and how this how we have to have this will to embrace yeah. and how these psychological things that are just nature to us is Discuss, not wanting to step into the crowd, right? You know, right. Just not wanting to shake hands, right. how that affects the psychological right. and our hospitality. So, anyway, it's a really, really great book. I recommend it. Thank you, Stranger God. Stranger right. God, Richard. Okay, <laughs> I need to use one. Um, one more, Gary. Yeah. Uh, back around 1990, I had a neighbor that lived like two apartments down, <coughs> and he diagnosed with AIDS and he was getting really sick and he eventually moved to Oklahoma with his parents I think just to 
end his life there with his parents. But one time he, he was well enough to come back to Dallas to visit, and uh, I let him stay in my house, and I let him sleep on the, I had a sofa bed, a sofa that would make into a bed, and I let him sleep there. And he showed me on his body, he had these big, like, stores or some kind of, I don't know what they were, just big black cancers or something. And so I, I just, I mean, I was trying to be hospitable and let him stay there, but I was really, like, kind of scared that I might catch it. I, I mean, yeah. I wasn't real sure back then. Everything was contagious. Yeah. And, um, but I just remember after he left, mm-hmm. I got a can of Lysol spray mm-hmm. and just completely like fumigated my house. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I look back at that and think how ignorant I was, and you know, there really was no danger. But you know, I think I did a good job of while he was there, not acting like I was paranoid about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's that sort of the same thing about being dirty and clean. And right. And I, and I think that brings up um, a good point that when we practice hospitality of the nature that we're talking about, um, there, are, there are questions that come up, like, is this going to be safe? Is this going to be okay? You know, uh, if there are kids around, you know, is this okay with, their, with kids around? Um, it, you know, is... There, there's all sorts of questions that come up and, and we, we think about you know, certain boundaries that, that we have and whether or not those are okay. And I'm not saying that, that, you, that this means like being more hospitable means throwing questions and, and cautions and boundaries to the wind, but they do have to be, I think, discerned and said, okay, what is, what's this feeling coming up in me? And, and what, what's the truth? What's not? You know? And so I think um, those are really good questions to ask. Um, so Chloe read the story of Lydia in Acts 16, and I love that story as one example of hospitality for okay, in a couple different ways. Um, Paul has been traveling with his team. This is their second trip, and they're in Philippi. And one of the things to remember about uh, Philippi in this story is that it's a Roman colony, and so they get special rights as a city. And that means they kind of get to pick and choose which religious groups can worship in the city and which ones don't belong and have to worship outside the city. Um, thank you, John. Um, and so uh, they, they were kind of anti-Jewish at this point in history, and they were like, the Jews cannot worship in the city. And Paul, his kind of mode of operation is he always goes into a new place and he looks for the, the Jewish meeting place first. Like, where's the synagogue? Oh, it doesn't look like there's anything here. So they go out on the Sabbath to this river. This is a picture of um, the actual stream that runs outside the ruins of ancient Philippi. So somewhere around here, um, he meets this group of women that are in a prayer meeting to God. And one of those women is Lydia. Now, Lydia is not Jewish ethnically, but she is uh, she's Roman ethnically. Um, and she's also unique in that she's a businesswoman. She's a dealer in purple. Um, and that wasn't an insignificant, like, just 
uh, it wasn't insignificant that it was purple that was mentioned. Purple was a, a color of importance. It was a color of power. It was the, the in, empirical yeah, uh, people wore purple. The Caesar and his family, uh, there was purple that highlighted their importance. And so for her to be a dealer in purple was something that was very important. Like probably the high fashion people of Philippi uh, came and were customers of Lydia. Um, that she was the, uh, the the Lauren Cohen of Philippi, <laughs> <laughs> and so um, Lydia, she she had some position of power, some position of uh, influence. She had a household of her own. Um, she uh, probably had plenty of money, and so in some ways she fits in very neatly into the Philippian hierarchy of life and society. In some ways, she doesn't fit in because something in her has led her on this search for God, even to the point where she goes outside the city gates looking for him. And I imagine she got a couple of weird looks from her friends uh, uh, as she walked outside the city gates and met with these Jewish women to pray on Saturday mornings. And so she's down by the river praying with these Jewish women. And that's when Paul comes and finds them. And they invite him to come and teach. And he, he talks about Jesus and the text says that God opens her heart and she believes and she's just uh, so glad that she's like, let's get baptized right now. And so she and her whole household are baptized. And that's a story for another time. But um, and then you can tell that she's used to getting getting the deals when she wants because she, she throws down this like, if you consider me to be a believer and come stay at my house. You know, if you think what, what happened is for real, Paul, then you really need to come stay at my house. And she prevails upon him and his team, even though he's just a bunch of guys traveling around. And <clears throat> she is, is, a, is a female inviting uh, them into her home, and, but they come. And the interesting thing about this act of hospitality is that she doesn't know these guys. She just met them. She welcomes them into her home. But what this does is it invites uh, this place where uh, Jesus and his message can be talked about and spread in Philippi where it wouldn't have been allowed otherwise. Without Lydia inviting them and basically validating that they were okay, they wouldn't have been allowed in that city. And so a church is planted there, and we have the letters of Philippians later on. And so all this is wrapped around what God is doing in Lydia's heart. So two things that I wanted to highlight. First, I, I love the fact that Lydia uh, expresses this act of hospitality. And, and the church starts because of that, because of her hosting Paul and his team in Philippi. And, and there was probably discomfort that, because of that decision. There's probably some danger because of that decision. And later on, if you read the rest of Acts 16, Paul and his, his friends, they keep getting into trouble. They go to jail. And when they get out, they, they're back at Lydia's house. You know that people were like, Lydia, what are you doing letting these people stay at your place? Um, so there's a lot that was wrapped into that decision to host them. Um, but she, Lydia, is in a long line of women that are forerunners in acts of hospitality. When you look back at church history, often there are women, uh, often prominent women in society that give sacrificially and open their lives and open their doors. And the church spreads into new places because of those acts of hospitality. And so praise God for Lydia being an example that people have followed throughout the years, uh, both men and women. But she's one of the forerunners. And I think we can celebrate that. A second thing is that Lydia is like some of us that, you know, she's she's done pretty well with her life. She fits into society pretty well. But then there's a part of her 
that started to get kind of strange to her friends. That's kind of weird to where she goes out and hangs out outside the city gates with the people that don't fit in, the religious people that don't fit in. She's with the marginalized. She's with the strangers. And she's with the foreigners, even. And so I imagine that as she keeps doing this and practicing this and living this life where she's kind of in two worlds, she's starting to feel what it's like to not fit completely in. And I think that experience is part of what creates openness in her heart, that makes room in her heart to invite people in and to uh, open her world to them. There's a book that uh, is called Making Room and another book uh, recommendation for you guys by Christine Pohl. And it looks at the practices of hospitality and how the church can reclaim this very rich heritage of hospitality. And one of the things she suggests is this. I'll just read it. The experience of having been a stranger, of being a vulnerable person on the margin of society, is often connected with offering hospitality. When hospitality involves more than entertaining family and friends, when it crosses social boundaries and builds community, when it meets significant human needs and reflects God's generosity, we often find hosts who see themselves in some way as marginal to the larger society. So in other words, it's the people that have started to feel kind of like the marginal, that they don't really fit in. It's the people that maybe have felt that way all their life that often have uh, compassion on the others that don't fit in. And so um, I think we see in Lydia a person that even though she could fit into everything, she's made choices and now she doesn't. And so she started to open herself up to new things and new people. Um, Christine Paul says this, the Bible makes the experience of marginality or of not fitting in the normal thing for the people of God. I had to think about that. But you think back from Abraham and onward, and God's like, Abraham, you've got a nice life here in your country in Ur. Let's move you somewhere else. So they move all the way across what is his known world at the time. Um, he sets up shop in this new place, and he's like, okay, finally we've made it. And then his grandchildren, great-grandchildren, end up in Egypt. They're foreigners in a new place. Um, and then they're slaves in a new place. And then Moses helps them escape hundreds of years later. And then they're wandering in the wilderness. And they're, they're finally, oh, we're here in the promised land. It's like, oh, we're finally home. Well, that doesn't last super long either. And then they're, they're taken over. They are in exile. They're back. Um, and then they're, t- they're conquered by the Greeks and the Romans. There's not really a time of super stability in the people of God and the story. And kind of ironically, it's the times when they are the most stable, when they seem, seem to forget God and they seem to um, start practicing injustice <laughs> and being immoral. And so that's an interesting uh, feature of the story that we, we can't get into today. But just to note that the people of God have always experienced this sense of, you know, we, we're really not in a stable place. We really don't fit into the, the power structures of the day. And the early church was very much in that vein. They didn't fit in. Um, they, they were different. They were weird. They, they were looked down upon. And that was the, the, the people um, that started to practice a, a radical form of generosity. That, to, that people notice. They're like, these Christians, they'll just they'll hang out with anybody. There's rich people, there's poor people, there's every all the different uh, races and ethnicities. They're all together in one place. What are they doing? They open themselves to uh, people they don't even know, to strangers. They welcome them. 
They open their homes to them. They take care of sick people and, and they take care of the dying. These people are strange. That's how they saw Christians in the, in the early centuries. And that was part of what made the church explode. Because some people were repulsed by that. And they're like, I don't want to mess with that. And some people were drawn to it and saw something there. I want uh, us to just read through just a few scriptures that are part of the foundation, I think, of the early church. Um, first, if we go to this first one, um, this is from Deuteronomy. And it says, and you are to love those who are foreigners. And some translations say strangers. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. So this is Moses telling the people, you remember when you were foreigners in Egypt and how you were treated and how bad that was? So now when you've got a home, when we meet foreigners, when we, we run into strangers here, let's, let's love them. Let's take care of them. And over and over again in the Old Testament, the same thing. You remember what Egypt was like? That was terrible. So let's treat, let's treat each other well. Let's treat foreigners among us well. Let's go to the next one, John. Um, this is Jesus speaking a picture of the end of time. And he says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. And the righteous are like, Jesus, when, did, when were you a stranger and we invited you in? And he says, whatever you did for the least of my brothers and sisters, you did for me. And the early church fathers, they, when they wrote about this practice of hospitality, they pointed to this verse and they said, this is why we do it. Because whenever we welcome in the stranger, we're welcoming in Jesus. And I think that was really exciting for them to practice that. There was something that gave them joy in welcoming people that were different than them that needed help. And they saw that as, as welcoming Jesus. Um, one more in Hebrews. I can't skip this one. Um, go one more, John. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Which I've always, even since I was a kid, when I read that verse, I thought that would be cool. It's like, oh, I wonder if that was an angel. And you never know, unless they just disappear right in front of your eyes. So. Um, but the point, the word that keeps coming up over and over in all these verses is stranger, which, you know, stranger danger, like watch out for strangers. Like stranger is not a, a happy word you know, for me. Um, and, and we teach our kids to be careful around strangers. But then we've got this biblical story of take care of strangers, like look out for the strangers, be hospitable to strangers, be hospitable to the foreigners, be hospitable to the people that are different than you over and over again. And so there, there's this battle that goes on within us. And as Christine Paul says, part of the challenge is that if we fit so neatly into society that we can't ever break those different barriers towards the people that are different than us, then we need to shake things up. We need to start doing practices that help put us out there, that get us out of our comfort zone and around people. And some of the things she says is hang out with people that are on the margins. We're going to talk about that next week. Um, be around them. Just be, be there, even when it's uncomfortable. Don't, don't feel like you have to fix everything. Just be around people on the margins. Hang around the people, uh, hang around refugees in Vickery. Hang around people that are disconnected and don't have community. Uh, where, whether they're at the Alamo or they're at your, your school or you drop off your kids or at your job. Be around those people. Um, spend time. And then she says, accept hospitality from others. And that's what some of us have said. It's really hard to accept hospitality. And especially if we, we think that we're the ones that's supposed to offer hospitality. 
Then the person that we're trying to help turns around and says, oh, I'd like for you to come over and I'd like to offer you some of what I have. Oh, that could be hard. It could be hard to accept. But that is one of the great places for us to learn how to be hospitable people. Um, what are what are some ideas that you guys have? Um, what's what's a practice that we could push into um, to help form our hearts into being hospitable, even to the stranger, even to the foreigner? Foreigner. I think a lot of times um, opportunities for hospitality. Uh, uh, I don't. Uh, sometimes I get to calendar them, but the best opportunities, both to receive and to give, um, don't make my calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a spontaneity uh, to it, and like a, um, uh, and sometimes I I can see the opportunity coming, and my life is too full or my head is too full, and I I keep my head down and keep moving pretty quickly. Because uh, I know that, hey, oh well, I could, I could be here an hour or two hours, you know, or, you know, who knows what would come about. But I think I don't know what the practice is in that. Maybe some of it is, maybe some of it is just having margin and like being open to those spontaneous opportunities. Not having my life so full that I can't spare 30 minutes or an hour or something to give or receive hospitality yeah. as the opportunities come. Um, but yeah, those are my the most meaningful and significant, like transformative moments of hospitality. Um, I didn't plan, you know. Right. I I just happened upon them. Right. Good. Thank you, Jen. Yeah. Yeah. Along with what Charles said, like uh, this idea of being inconvenienced, um, hmm. that noticing those moments that feel very inconvenient. Um, are the precise moments that that we need to let go and lean into. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it, it really uh, makes a difference when when you essentially plan to be in that you make space in life um, for things to not go away. It's good and, and very hard, <laughs> but very good. Yeah. One way that uh, kind of catches that idea, friends of mine that I know that have lived in intentional community together and they write out like, what the things we're committing to each other and one of those things is to be uh, graciously interruptible. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> for yeah. like, no, that's, it sounds nice. But, yeah, but it's one of, it is one of those things where you're like, I have to consciously take this on. Yes. And that's, I think that is part of the key is like, this is intentionally done. Uh, our hearts are not just formed just, you know, on a whim, like, oh yeah, be hospitable. There are practices that we want to get into and be aware of. Like, I'm, I'm going to be willing to be inconvenienced, not on my schedule, but, you know, when it happens. Um, some of the practices that have been practiced through the ages where with monastic communities and different things have, have purposefully created space in community and, and, and slowed down life in ways that have helped people become hospitable. Um, and there's some, some ways we can look into that. But um, for now, before we, we pray together, I want to say that there's really good news in this. And the good news is that 
Um, when we practice hospitality, when we give and share and open our doors, um, people meet Jesus in the midst of that. And we meet Jesus in the midst of that. There's a real sense in which Jesus is the host, even of our lives and our homes and our meals, when we invite people in. And we can sense something going on there. That's because Jesus is there. He's the host. It's Jesus living through us that's hospitable. But at the same time, when we receive hospitality, we're receiving the welcome of Jesus there. We're meeting Jesus among the people um, that are in the margins. And Jesus can be found there. And so there's an amazing opportunity to meet Jesus in new ways uh, as we practice uh, experiencing hospitality. Jesus has got this weird mix going on in his life where he's constantly receiving and giving hospitality. When you think about his ministry, he doesn't have a home. He doesn't, he's not make, make, raking in the dough and, and buying everybody meals. Like he's constantly living off of other people's hospitality, and he's good with that. And, but also, at the same time, he keeps giving. Like he's giving of himself, and he's breaking bread and turning, you know, feeding 5,000 people, and he's the host in all these different settings, whether it's with prostitutes or with Pharisees. He ends up showing up, and he's the host of the, of the meal somehow. He keeps giving and receiving, and I think in that mix is this picture of God, of Father and Son and Holy Spirit, where there's not any competition, there's not any sense of pride where I'm not going to you know, let you fix this one, Holy Spirit. It's just love, it's just like self-giving love, where they're back and forth, and they're giving and receiving, and I think it's beautiful. And that's the picture of Jesus, where the hospitality just flows, both in receiving and in giving. And that's why I think we meet Jesus in those moments. So I'm excited as we continue to live into this motivation. Say, why are we the way we are? Why do we want to be like that? It's because we get to meet Jesus and his love compels us. 